Well, hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here, and welcome to the Redeemed and Restored podcast. We're all be coming to you every Friday so that together we can intentionally discover the faithfulness of God, which is my absolute favorite thing to do. Every week, I'll bring you encouragement to see God working all things together for good, from scriptures to devotional excerpts to song lyrics to personal examples from my journey through redemption and restoration. Joining this community on a regular basis, where it's okay to be real and throw off our masks of perfection, will not only encourage you, but will motivate and stir your hearts and just possibly leave you forever changed. In times like this, we all need to be encouraged as we face the challenges, difficulties, and losses of this life. So I look forward to growing right along with you in authenticity and transparency as we endeavor to find the faithfulness of God in our everyday lives. So take a moment to write a review on Apple so even more people are able to find the encouragement you're about to hear. Each episode is broadcast on my YouTube channel before it's converted and brought to you in this audio format. If you'd like to get in on the fun and giveaways at my YouTube home, join me over there at Athena Dean Holtz for even more encouragement. So hey, let's get started. Well, hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here for this week's edition of Redeemed and Restored. I'm going to talk this week and share with you some unwritten stories that didn't make my memoir full circle coming home to the faithfulness of God. This will fill in some gaps and help you see some of the issues from my family of origin that shaped my life and really started me on a course of destruction without my even realizing it. So today, as I share some defining moments from my childhood, I'm going to provide you with some thoughts to ponder that will hopefully begin or further your own self-discovery. My memoir starts out with a picture from my young years. It's a black and white, kind of faded photo. I'm probably two-ish, and I'm in my mom's lap. My brother is right next to us. He's perfect and quiet and happy and I'm like reaching for someone else, not satisfied, not happy, pulling away from my mom. I'm not accepted by her, so I can't wait to get away. Am I reaching for my dad? Maybe. He wasn't home a lot, but when he was, he was affirming, building me up, taking lots of 16 millimeter films with bright, shiny lights I was the center of his universe when he was home, his princess, and I thrived on his attention, even though it was inconsistent. And those times were few and far between as I was growing up. My mom, on the other hand, was super negative, critical, unhappy woman who didn't quite know what to do with me. So for the first decade of my life, she constantly said, why can't you just be like Jim? My dad wasn't around much. He was busy chasing success and finding it big time. And he was also chasing after other women, which wasn't really exposed until I was approaching the end of my second decade. I understand 
from all the stories I was told that I was lactose intolerant as a baby. So I was super colicky and living in Hawaii where I was born, they tried everything before they settled on a mixture of poi and mashed bananas. I am sure my mom was sleep deprived and at the end of her rope with a baby who was loud and demanding and never slept, how could she have known that I was in pain? All she was was frustrated and just didn't know what to do with me. I guess I was miserable, so I made sure she was too. So my big brother, remember, was quiet, obedient, compliant, well-behaved, didn't give my mom any trouble. He was a lot like her. I, on the other hand, was the epitome of the strong-willed child, loud, rebellious, mischievous, excitable. I drove her crazy, and I was a lot like my dad. We would go to visit my grandma a few times a year. She lived in this incredible house overlooking the Santa Monica Beach, Southern California. In fact, it was built for the silent film star Mary Pickford, so the house had a ton of history. My grandma was a minister, and her house was filled with expensive Chinese furniture and rugs and Asian decor. One time, my mom left me in the den unattended, and within minutes, I turned up the heater on the aquarium, killing all the fish, and spilled India ink all over the stunning wool oriental rug. My poor mom just never got a break from me. I ran her ragged and pushed her to her limits. So looking back on those early years of my life, I was always being told to stop being who I was and to be someone else. That is like the height of rejection. And I didn't realize till much later in life and really not that long ago, how much that really hurt my heart. So the word reject is defined as to discard as useless or unsatisfactory. Ouch. So a study online regarding trauma in childhood explains it this way. What is a rejected child? It's a child who is unplanned, unwanted by the new mother, who's never accepted by the mother as her own until after this critical window of brain development closes at three years of age. Such a child suffers from what can be called type 1 PTSD and will show some typical behaviors. Now, I didn't experience the level of rejection and trauma many children do in foster homes or violent and abusive homes with maybe alcoholic, negligent parents, maybe even severe sexual abuse in the home by a trusted relative. Like trust had been broken in the type 1 PTSD sufferer, so the lack of trust is at the core of our struggles. This has been true for me but not at all to the extreme. My biggest struggle growing up and into my adult years was my inability to form close relationships. I just did not trust people. And only in the last seven years have I actually seen some real growth in this area where I have people in my life that I can fully, truly trust and develop deep friendships with. That's some healing, my friend. So my dad is 
climbing up the corporate ladder in the book business, Encyclopedia Britannica. Hey, I guess books are in my blood. But that climb was something that excited him and it got the best hours of his days. So that lifestyle became something alluring to me. Success and achievement looked like it would give me what I wanted, attention. I guess when you mix that with our household live-in maid who began sexually molesting me when I was five, it was a seed of sensuality that was sowed into my young heart and continued on until we moved three years later to New York when I was eight. I never told anyone. In fact, the maid made sure to tell me that it was our secret. I inherently knew it was right. I knew it was wrong. But I kept the secret and began to die a little bit every day inside as I kept silent. The challenge, though, is it set me up for a future of people who would come and go in my life and use me for their own satisfaction. Sometimes it was for physical pleasure, but just as often it was for the money I was so good at making. Like my dad, I was driven by success and I succeeded well. So I seemed to attract the opposite in the opposite sex. Those who really didn't like working and they would just rather let someone else do the work. So they used me to be that person in their lives who brought home the bacon and I brought it home in spades. So when you combine that open door to sensuality with my longing for attention for my dad, that comes up as promiscuity just waiting to happen and happen it did. Once I reached about 13 and was sent away to a private nunnery in Kenosha, Wisconsin, because I was out of hand by this point, the girls there were all sexually active. And while I couldn't quite see myself going down that road just yet, those who were influencing me brought it front and center right onto my radar. Now, I have to admit, I had no religious upbringing, no Sunday school, VBS, Awana, or even an understanding of the Ten Commandments. I had no influence in my life to guide me toward godliness. So I was ripe for being deceived into thinking that being boy crazy was a profitable endeavor. I was trying to fill a hole in my heart. And if it was wild and risky and exciting all the better. So now, right around this time, I fell in love with horses, and my dad began buying me one after another, and I jumped into competing at horse shows all across the state of Illinois. My dad was making big money by this time, and he owned some airplanes and helicopters. He would even come in his helicopter and pick me up on the hockey field of the private school in Wisconsin to take me to my riding lessons on the weekend. Boy, that made me feel special. I poured my energy into riding and learning the ins and outs of showing hunters and jumpers. It was a competitive sport, which I liked. It was affirming to win blue ribbons and sterling silver championship bowls across the state. Being in the show ring spotlight was an adrenaline high for me 
and it gave me a sense of belonging, convincing my heart that I really wasn't useless or unsatisfactory. So truth be told, I was way more interested in writing and showing than school-related activities because I had these trust issues. I really never made many friends in school, and I missed a lot of significant school events because of my show schedule. I didn't go to my own graduation or prom. So at this time in my life, my dad had reached the pinnacle of success in the book business. He was making about a million dollars a year, and this was about 1970. So you think about that, that would have been about three to four million dollars a year in today's dollars. He bought a house in the next town over, had an indoor swimming pool, a pond, five bedrooms. It was a beautiful chateau style house with lush gardens and impeccable grounds, lots of acreage. This long, windy driveway would lead up to the house and opened up onto this majestic fortress. He was at the height of his success. But what I didn't know, and my mom didn't know, is that he was living a double life. While the facade he'd built looked good on the outside, the house, the cars, the happy marriage, the jet planes, the horses, the three kids, the tailored clothes, the high living, just seemed like success, but the foundation was rotten with lies and deception ruling the day. He had a mistress on the side who he'd met in all his travels. She was a flight attendant and was feisty and cute and upbeat, the complete opposite of my mom, who by this time, classy, well-dressed, demure, quiet. So we found these tapes. My little brother found this little recorder and heard them talking and didn't recognize the female voice. It would be funny if it wasn't so sad, but he ran to my mom and said, what's this? Who are these? Who's this woman talking to dad? Well, my dad was immediately relegated into the den, making his bedroom there when he wasn't staying downtown Chicago with Kathy. My mom didn't want to start over. She was comfortable, even knowing he'd been unfaithful to her and was continuing to be. And she was not willing to end the marriage. It was more important to her to have my dad escort her to the opera once or twice a month and support the launch of her new travel agency, which became her new love. I looked back and I just see how much I was taught to make sure everything always looked good on the outside, even if in reality, it wasn't. I'm sure it wasn't intentional. It's just what I saw modeled to keep people at arm's length because they couldn't be trusted and to run after shiny objects that provided a level of comfort and satisfaction that was fleeting meant I always had to run after something else. They didn't know the love of the father, so they couldn't pass that comfort on to me. They could only pass on what they learned from their parents. And I could only do the same. To not have an understanding of God and his love for me created such a huge vacuum in my life 
one that drove me to seek and seek and seek and find only those things that ended up hurting me in the end, even though they looked good on the outside. So I have a question for you. Have you ever connected the dots of your family of origin and defining moments in your childhood and seen how they might have affected you and may still be affecting you today? Can you see values and character traits that you drew from your parents or other significant people in your life that set you up for failure or perhaps success? Well, I would like to leave you today with a question and encourage you to ask God to reveal what will help you connect the dots. I'd like to encourage you to ask God a simple question. Lord, what do you want to teach me about my life? How can I begin to see your faithfulness along the way? I trust that the Lord has spoken to your heart today, and perhaps you've seen yourself in some ways in some of my experiences, or perhaps you've seen someone you love and don't really understand in my story. One thing I know, the faithfulness of God pursues us and helps us to see His hand at work even through our rough childhoods. So thanks for joining me today. I look forward to connecting with you next week on Redeemed and Restored. And before I sign off, again, I'd love to ask you to like, follow, share, comment. Share it widely with your friends. My name is Athena Dean Holtz, and this is Redeemed and Restored. So thanks for joining us today on the Redeemed and Restored podcast, brought to you by Athena Dean Holtz and the Romans 828 Bookstore, a division of Redemption Press. I'd love to have you review and share this podcast with friends, family, and others who could use the encouragement. And be sure to check out my YouTube channel at Athena Dean Holtz for more tips and tools to help you find the faithfulness of God. So thanks for joining us today. See you next week for another episode of Redeemed and Restored.